welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. My name is David Clegg. I'm the political editor of The Daily Record and your host. Today, on the week that the Growth Commission report was finally published, I am joined by two brilliant guests. From the Labour Party, I have Jackie Bailey. And from the SNP, I have Tom Arfer. Uh, Jackie is one of the class of 99. She has been a member of the Scottish Parliament since it began. Tom is a more recent addition to our ranks here. He's been an MSP since 2016. Uh, Previously, he had a very successful career in music, which we'll come on to in a moment. Uh, Later on today, we'll be discussing First Minister's questions, uh, the quality of the fire service in Scotland, and some of the other issues in Scottish politics, of course, including that Growth Commission report, which has been hotly debated all week. Uh, But first of all, I want to talk to Tom, because Tom uh, is a a very talented pianist uh, and played in a wedding band before he came into politics. Now, if if, if you've heard the podcast before, Tom, you'll know that I was given an awful jingle Uh by the powers that be at the Daily Record to begin this (laughs) podcast. So I wanted to start by asking you a favour. Do you think that you could craft us a new jingle that we could maybe begin the show with in future? Is that, is that something you would give some consideration to? Um, I would, but would I have to declare it in my register of interest? I forget. There, would be, there would be no fee. It would, just, <laughs> <laughs> it, would just, it would just be an attempt to flatter me. Okay, if I find a few minutes over the summer, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, that would be much appreciated. I, I really do appreciate it. He's, 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 he's a very nice chap. I think jacket. that's fantastic. And I think if you've got talent like Tom's, let's get it on display. I, of course, will not volunteer to sink. <laughs> that would probably drive all your listeners away. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll commit to write a jingle Shaggy Sings. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, dear, I'm not sure. I'm in a bind now. I'm not sure what to do. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be serious for a moment. Um, let's begin with that Growth Commission report. It was published last Friday after 20 months. It has, I think I think it's been generally received as something that at least has had substantial thought and, and is a piece of work that uh, it can stand analysis. Uh, there's been criticism from within the SNP as well as like with the SNP. So I'll maybe start with you, Tom. What's your initial reactions uh, to the conclusions and where it leaves the independence debate now? Well, I think what the First Minister spoke about was restarting the debate on independence. And I don't think anyone could deny that the publication of the Growth Commission has restarted that debate. I've been reflecting on it. I've been following a lot of the comments that have been coming back and forth. Uh, forth. And what struck me is that the divide in opinion doesn't seem to be so much between those who prefer one constitutional option for Scotland and those who prefer another. It seems to be between those who actually want to engage in a substantive debate, acknowledge the challenges that the Growth Commission put, uh, lays down, but also acknowledge the opportunities it sets out for Scotland should it choose independence. But on the other hand, you have people who perhaps don't want to engage with that debate. So what I really want to see continue, and it's actually a large debate across Scotland where all voices can be heard. This is, a, to an extent, a slow-burn process. This is not a blueprint um, f- uh, for independence that represents the only true path. Rather, it's a set of views put forward, it's substantive, it's provoking a lot of opinion and a lot of debate, and that can only be a positive thing for Scottish politics. Who do you think are the people who are not willing to engage in debate? Do you think that's just a yes vote or no vote or split from 2014, or do you think it's slightly more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated than that. I think we're seeing a number of commentators and columnists who um, have openly met they were not in favour of independence in 2014, but acknowledge it as a substantive contribution. And indeed, what's important to remember about the Growth Commission, it's not just about independence, it's not just about what currency and independence Scotland could use. 
It looks at Scotland's economic situation as a member of the UK, it compares it with other small advanced economies and it sets out a range of proposals which the government has already you know, committed to actively looking at. And I think that's something for which all opposition parties should acknowledge, we should engage with. We don't necessarily have to support the conclusion that Scotland should become an independent country, but by engaging with the challenges that the Growth Commission puts down, debating them, as I say, that's only something that can be positive for Scotland. Are you willing to engage with this debate in good faith, Jackie? I will always engage in a debate about the future of the the country in which we live. You know, we've been arguing for many a year now about the state of the Scottish economy, the fact that our economy is stagnating, productivity is down, you know, wages are stagnating. We think there's huge potential in Scotland, but actually that there are powers that they have now to grow the economy. And indeed, the Growth Commission pointed to that. It actually you know, said that there are a whole host of powers that the Scottish Parliament has now that they should be using to actually stimulate that economic growth. But you know, at the heart of that report, when you go through it line by line, is a presumption that we will have austerity of the kind that we've not seen yet. Um, you know, we, we, it's, it's, it would make somebody like George Osborne proud um, to see the kind of austerity that has, that we of course, been have. denied by Andrew Wilson, the key author of the report. Well, see, when you look at it, there are assumptions made about growth. There are assumptions made about a whole range of statistics. When you strip it away, in order to tackle the deficit, which at the point of transfer will be about ten billion pounds, he talks about growing the economy, and of course, you would want to do that. But the basket of countries he's selected is highly selective. Um, and what you find when you look at it is that the growth enjoyed by those countries can't be applied to Scotland. We would have cuts to public services worth billions of pounds that would be absolutely swinging. And, you know, I would put it to Tom, what services are we going to cut? What services are going to suffer as a consequence of this obsession with independence? Tom, do you think there would be cuts under this model? OK, I think there's a few points in response to Jackie. First... The existing Scottish deficit, I believe, is about 8% of GDP. This is more than the starting deficit of 6% going forward to 2021-2022. With regards to the basket of small advanced economies that are used as reference points, the actual what that demonstrates, that analysis, is how these countries have been able to adapt to their own unique set of circumstances to deliver better growth in a better performing economy. But, but, but have to say, and my apologies for interrupting, but you know they've added in cities, not countries, like Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, they compare themselves against countries where income inequality is stark. So they're growing, but they're growing at the cost of the local population. You know, you can't just cherry pick in the way that the Growth Commission report has done. If you took out for let, let's Let's say, Tom get, okay. come, come back in here. But I would say that... The, 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 Growth Commission doesn't cherry pick, it's picking 12 diverse countries and what it's demonstrating is that they have all been able to achieve growth. Now some of that growth has been led by increased productivity but others have been uh, through increased um, inward migration. New Zealand is an example and it's a case in point. Now New Zealand has often been cited as an example of a high income, uh, uh, sorry, a, high, a country with high levels of inequality but its Gini coefficient is actually less than the UK according to the statistics put forward in that report and that's something to bear in mind. But the fundamental message from the Growth Commission and its analysis of these small countries is that with tailored policies designed for a small advanced economy, you can achieve a better performance, better at a growing economy and consequently more revenue for public services. 
The reality is within the UK, Scotland is stuck in a system which is designed for the large industrial economy, one now growing far slowly, more slowly than all its competitors. What do you think about the attacks from the left, Tom? Because I noticed you've written a, a blog mm-hmm. on, on the piece which people can read on, online, uh, and it says, you know, it rejects Corbynism mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a feasible alternative uh, economic model. Do you, do you think this is pitched in the centre ground and, and that is something that you personally appreciate. Are you worried that it might ward off people on the left? I, I think the, the term centre ground is perhaps isn't captured more accurately, ac- as, as accurately as it should be. It's, it's predicated upon a, a robust analysis and not just wild speculation um, or ideological fixation as perhaps dominates the extreme thinking on the left or the extreme thinking on the right. Um, what it does is it tries to engage with the facts, it tries to engage with reality, and it engages honestly with the challenges that an independent Scotland would face. Um, and as such, um, that's not something that um, Corbyn economics does, because the person who would seek to be Chancellor John Macdonald is, a, is an, an avowed Marxist. And I think one would only have to imagine that should um, Jeremy Corbyn become Prime Minister, and should John Macdonald occupy number 11, how do we think the city, which contributes, which has a huge impact on the UK economy, how would that react to John McDonald? You have expressed your reservations about Jeremy Corbyn as well, of course, uh-huh. Jackie. Yes, um, are you, do you think there's an opportunity for his type of politics here? I absolutely do, because look, what, what was promised by the SNP is if you voted for independence in 2014, austerity would end immediately. What the Growth Commission is telling you and what the SNP are telling you is that actually it'll be 25 years before we catch up. And that's if I accept their figures. I think it'll be a lot longer that Scotland will experience austerity. People have an option now. They have a Labour Party that wants to end austerity, that actually is challenging, I think, a really terrible Conservative government. Um, And we are challenging them to become the next government, both in Scotland and in the United Kingdom. And that's how will end austerity much quicker, rather than this growth commission which has been criticised by people like Kenny McCaskill, a former senior government minister, as perhaps being too neoliberal, you know, a step too far in terms of its free market economy I'll let, let, let Tom respond to that. Well, I highlighted the magical thinking with regards to um, Labour's economic policies. What we've just heard from Jackie Bailey is some magical thinking regarding Labour's electoral prospects. We have the most calamitous UK Tory government in living memory, and the, and the Labour Party, against this, are consistently trailing them in the opinion polls. There is no realistic prospect of a Labour government. The reality is Labour should be miles ahead of the Conservative Party right now, but they're not. They're consistently trailing. And on that key question which decides elections, who do you think would be the better Prime Minister, Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn? Theresa May is consistently ahead. It sounds as if the SNP are arguing for Theresa May. Well, we've been here before, but but, but let me genuinely genuinely say, do you know what I find fascinating is every time Nicola Sturgeon you know, not that long ago, talks about independence, she loses. 500,000 votes at the general election she lost because she was talking about another independence referendum. You know, that's what the SNP are worried about. The Growth Commission is either a device for them to call a referendum quickly, or as I 
personally believe it's because Nicola Sturgeon doesn't want to go near this, so she's going to hide behind the Growth Commission report in order to delay. What do you think the electoral prospects for Scottish Labour are if there's another independence debate? Obviously, the last one was widely seen as, as causing major problems for, for your electoral prospects. What do you think would happen now? Are you con- concerned there's going to be another debate that Labour will struggle to be a part of? No, no, I don't think we'll struggle to be a part of it. We have a very clear view. We don't agree with independence. We think that there are much quicker ways of gaining the kind of society most Scots want to live in, um, and that's through elections at Westminster and at Holyrood. Simply, you know, tearing up the constitution of the country to do so isn't necessary, and it's certainly not going to be delivered by the SNP on the back of a Growth Commission report that is a cuts commission. I want, I want to get on to currency, Tom, you, but so, a quick point before we do that. Jack has said that the people in Scotland can get a Labour government by voting yeah. Labour at Westminster. You mentioned earlier I was elected in 2016 for the first time. I was 13 years old when the Scottish Parliament reconvened. I was 11 years old when... There's no need to brag. The yeah. problem with being is... I've been a, I, have been, I have been I alive. started young. <laughs> I am, I'm 32 years old and for the overwhelming majority of my lifetime, Scotland has had Tory governments that it's not voted for. And the rea- that is... The reality of the, of the situation within the UK, we have we do not get the governments that we vote for at Westminster, and on the economic model, we have a com- complete imbalance in the UK economy. It is centred in the southeast. If you look at the Growth Commission, if you look at page seventeen, the GVA of uh, London is one hundred and seventy percent of the UK average. There is no other major advanced economy with that level of imbalance. And the reality is, but everybody accepts that's a problem pretty much now. I mean, that's not it's not something that's new to the Scottish independence case. It's a, that's part of a UK debate about the economy, isn't uh-huh. it? But there's fundamentally um, no measures been put forward in, in my lifetime or before to fundamentally rectify that problem. And I think at the heart of it is, given so many elections have often decided by what happens in the south-east and the interest of the south-east, there's no incentive for UK politicians to say, actually, we're going to have a more equitable UK Let's let's talk about the currency issue because it was the crunch issue in twenty fourteen and obviously it was perhaps the most eye catching part of the, of this report. Uh, I'll stay stay with you for the time being, Tom. Given that um you've said already that there's plenty in this report that is actually applicable to the current powers of the Scottish Parliament, do you think that the currency issue that that whatever answer the SNP seems to land on seems complicated and you know perhaps destabilizing that? this is always going to be a problem for making the independence case, or do you think that this is the right answer to that question? I think the proposition put forward in the Grove Commission is a very sound proposition. In the 2014 referendum, um, the Scottish Government and the um, and many politicians on the, on the yes side argued for a currency union, and the UK Government rejected that. And ultimately, if... Uh, that um, proposition is put forward again. The UK government can say no. We do not believe there should be um, a currency union. Now, it still stands in the view of many that a currency union would be in the UK government's best interest. However, ultimately they can reject that. So, by the set of proposals put forward in the uh, Growth Commission of having sterilisation to begin with, and then moving um, when tests are met towards um, a standalone Scottish currency. Um, is the correct approach. It gives you know um, assurances to people that in day one after independence we're still going to be paid in pounds, our pensions are still going to be paid in pounds, our mortgages will still be valued in pounds, and only at a time when it is right and responsible to do so. It does. It does, indri- it does introduce risk to the economy, though. You would accept that. 
but there's always risk in the economy um, and I think the reality for example of Brexit and the devaluation of the pound shows that with any currency um, the situation within the eurozone within the nature of the currency there how it benefited Germany perhaps but certainly didn't benefit Greece and other areas so there's always going to be risk and that's unavoidable and it's important for politicians to be honest about that and that's exactly what the Growth Commission is honest and straightforward and gives a credible answer to these questions. Jackie, what's your thoughts on the latest currency proposal? Well, it may be honest, it's brutal, um, and I can't find a single serious economist, left or right, that agrees that this is the sensible thing to do. It's just about the worst currency option um, that Scotland could adopt. Because so why are they proposing it then, in your view? Because I think they have no alternative, and you know that's why the, the question just, wasn't answered in the white paper. Um, I think they have no alternative. So they've put this in place because there is nothing else at this point. You know, They seem to have ditched membership of the EU for the foreseeable future, because if you joined the EU, you would need to join the euro. Well, if this is in, hold on a second, if this is in place for, you know, at least 10 years till all these conditions are met, we will be using the pound with no control over it. We will have, and this is what I can't understand, for an independence movement that wants to take back control, they are handing control, not just to the Bank of England, but to the City of London. That's worse than to the Treasury. Um, and I really fail to see why they would do that. But in addition to that, because you do need to stabilise currencies, and this one would be this approach would be particularly risky, you would need to put in place reserves. Reserves of the level, and it depends who you speak to, some say £160 billion, others say it's as much as £200 billion, and those reserves would be about stopping fluctuations in the currency. That money needs to come from somewhere. That's going to come from our public services. You know, this is just fantasy economics that will hammer the poorest the most. I'll give you a chance to respond, Tom. It's not just opponents of independence like Jackie Bailey that are making that point, though. I see that Robin McAlpine from Commonweal, who's quite a prominent independent supporter, is, is making quite similar points today as well. Do you, ha- do you share any of these concerns about this proposition? Well... In the broader sense of those who are making comments, I, I welcome that. I think it's important we have that broader debate on the currency. Um, and I, you know, the publication of the Growth Commission and its proposition on currency has stimulated that. But I think it's actually key to remember of the Growth Commission, and this applies to the, um, the arguments of the public finances as well, is that fiscal prudence should not come at the expense of growth. And the um, Commission explicitly rejects austerity. That's a central message of the work of the Commission. And as I stated previously, Moving towards um, a standalone Scottish currency would be something which would be a gradual process and it would have to go and meet a range of measures to go and satisfy the confidence both of the people of Scotland and of course the international markets and lenders. What do you think about uh, the business community and how they are responding to this? Andrew Wilson, who we've mentioned is the key author of the report, is obviously quite a respected figure. It's thought that business was generally quite sceptical about the independence proposition in 2014, I think it's fair to say. Do you think that this is a, he is the right message carrier to try and win these people over? I think Andrew Wilson has demonstrated his you know, excellent abilities and quality of the report that he's produced. He's an excellent advocate for independence. Um, and I think, uh, as and it's important to remember, this uh, report was published less than a week ago. It's a substantive document. It will likely provoke a lot of responses and, and, and research into it and comments from serious thinkers, and I think as 
the business community digest this proposition and start to see the emerging pa uh, paths that are facing Scotland, either taking the powers of a, of a normal um, independent country and becoming one of those small advanced economies, or being stuck in an isolated hub Brexit Britain with the doors being slammed shut on us for international trade. I think that a lot of businesses will start to move towards the proposition of becoming a small advanced economy. Is there some logic in that, Jackie? You, uh, I, I think you might, uh, you've expressed reservations with Labour's position on Brexit and the single market, which is obviously a problem for business. Jeremy Corbyn also has policies that could be considered problematic by some business leaders. Do you think there is some room for the independence movement there to make inroads with the business community? Um, to be honest, I, I am unashamedly in favour of Europe. I think you know our economy benefits from being very much part of the single market and the customs union, and I've said so on a number of occasions. So Labour's you know, policy is damaging but, to but, business but, then? No, I think leaving the EU is damaging to business, mm. you know, and we need to secure the very best deal possible. And I'm desperately worried that we're running out of time. But I don't think simply saying that we'll take ourselves out of the UK, which is our biggest market, is necessarily the answer. You know, the, the amount of exporting we do to the EU accounts for about, I think, 16% of exports. We export over 50% to the rest of the UK. You know, so we shouldn't, simply because we're coming out of one market, tear ourselves out of an even bigger market. That just doesn't make sense. Businesses tell me they want certainty. The Growth Commission is not certainty. It's austerity on stilts. It's great uncertainty over currency, over how we would grow the economy. And actually the safest thing that business will tell you they want to do, of course they want to grow the economy. Um, they want to be able to have the support to do so now and to do so in the context of a united kingdom, not splitting the country up. And let me just make the observation that if you go for you know, continuing to use the pound, the currency option that the Commission favours, then what you would do is overnight you would see the loss of financial institutions, you know, so important to Edinburgh, to Glasgow, to all of our economy, potentially the transfer of something like 100,000 jobs. And here it accounts for 8 billion each year towards our economy. You would lose that if we simply just borrowed somebody else's currency and handed control to the Bank of England and the City of London. I want to move on to some other topics. I, I suspect you two are not going to come to an agreement on this on this particular issue. So. Well, I don't know. It's time you but, <laughs> but I'm sure the debate will continue in the weeks and months ahead. Um, I want to talk about uh, public services as a big part of what's discussed in this building. The police reform I, has, has captured the headlines most, but there's actually a report out today from... Uh, Audit Scotland and the Accounts Commission about the fire service and problems it has. In case some of the listeners haven't haven't read the headlines, they're saying that there's a 389 million maintenance backlog and a risk of vehicle breakdowns if there's not more money put into the system. They also express separate concerns about the retained firefighter system. Um, Tom, is this report a cause for concern? I think when you actually look at the, the report more broadly, its message is that there's progress being made in terms of a modernisation agenda. And I think all political parties across the chamber recognise that the model of uh, delivery, you know, which you know, goes back to the 1940s, is not the uh, model of delivery going into the 2020s and 2030s. And what the actual report recognises is that there's progress being made and that the board has taken a very responsible approach in terms of its engagement with staff, with unions, with politicians and with other stakeholders. On, on the regards to the funding issue, the, the First Minister made a point to FMQs, which I think is important to remember. That, that total figure, um, not only is it a backlog from the eight um, previous boards, 
that preceded um, the, the creation of the single force. But that figure is not all essential work it has to be carried out. Some of it is desirable. And indeed in the report, um, SFRS indicate that their funding for this year is sufficient to allow them to progress with their um, modernisation plans. And when we look at where we are in terms of funding from the government, um, there's more, £15 million pounds more at our disposal, £5.5 million from um, Scottish Government plus the £10 million pounds of that saving, and indeed the £22 million pounds additional capital funding that was provided in last, year, last year's budget has been maintained in this budget as well. So this is going to be a, it's always going to be a challenging process, but I think it has to be noted as well that there have been no closures of fire stations, there have been no compulsory redundancies, there will be no compulsory redundancies, and then changes to service delivery will become about as a result of close um, collaboration and consultation with the local communities um, that the fire uh, and rescue service serve. Labour's response to this report said that lives were being put at risk, Jackie. Do you think that's that's a fair synopsis? I, I think it is, because, do you know, in 2015, Audit Scotland reported on a lack of capital funding for our fire service. They highlighted the problems that could come if the money wasn't found to, you know, not just maintain buildings, but to maintain fire engines. You can't put out fires without the necessary equipment. Here we are three years later, and Audit Scotland are saying the same thing, but they're putting a number on it. You know, £389 million is a huge backlog in terms of capital spending. Um, but for people in living in rural areas, um, if they are failing to train and recruit um, retained firefighters, then we have a problem in providing emergency cover. So I think this is a real wake-up call. And of course, people relate to their local fire service. You know, it's the, the local fire station rather than the headquarters. Um, and they have great faith and support in our firefighters that go out um, and, you know, do what they do on a daily basis. But the number of incidents is up. The number of frontline firefighters has reduced by 10%. If we're not resourcing them with the right equipment, then you know I'm really worried about what's going to happen. And if you ask the FBU for their view, as the people that represent firefighters, they want to see this investment. It should be a priority. Does it need more money, Tom? As I've already highlighted, there has been additional money put in. But part of this as well is only going to be deliverable through modernisation, recognising the changing nature and changing role that the fire service will have in terms of, and also the need for greater collaboration with other public services as well. So I think that's it's, it's an equally important part. And that's something which I know there's a tremendous amount of work ongoing to make sure that it's an inclusive process, which includes staff, which includes unions, which includes politicians and the communities as well. And that in itself is something to be welcomed. Do you know, that was just a very long way of saying you're going to have to do more on less money. Um, and there comes a point where, you know, if we are serious about our emergency services, we do need to resource them properly. You know, 22 million um, that the government says it's providing against a, a figure of 389 million. You, you would accept that the, the block grants being cut by the UK government, though, when they're working within constraints. Well, this is capital funding, and of course capital funding has risen. Um, the UK government have given more capital funding, um, more ability to borrow to the Scottish government um, than they ever have before. So this is something the Scottish government could do if there was a will to do it. Well, I, I would be keen then to know where the Labour Party would take. They, they wish to, their proposition is additional capital funding on top of the additional £22 million that the Scottish government has provided over the last two years. Where would that capital funding come from? 
Well, it's very easy. You, you've got new powers over borrowing. Um, you also have slippage within existing capital programmes. The money is there. Is the political will there to make sure that our emergency services are properly resourced so that they can well, save specifically, lives? Specifically, well, where would it come from? Would it come from but, health? But, but I've told you, look, you clearly don't understand your own financial situation. You have new powers over borrowing that are available to the Scottish Parliament, available to your finance secretary. He's not used them so far. So you would borrow more? Uh-huh. What do you think of that idea? I think what would be would be helpful then is in the budget negotiations that will be, um, be commencing shortly is that the Labour Party engaged something that they failed to do last year. Oh, and please. the reality is, of course, that the Labour Party voted against the budget, which has provided this uplift in funding. No, no, you, it's a budget that's cut from public services across Scotland. Let's talk about public service a bit more widely in the context of First Minister's questions today, which public service featured as they, as they, as they tend to do. There's not a Conservative on the panel today, so I won't labour this point particularly, but I didn't think Ruth Davidson did particularly well against the First Minister today. She she, tr- she mentioned the Growth Commission. She basically did a, a another version of her get-on-with-the-day day job routine. Uh, did you think it was a, a successful performance from Ruth Davidson today, Jackie? Um, in, in terms of tone and, and presentation, I wasn't that impressed with it. In terms of content, what I thought was that both she and Richard Leonard and Willie Rennie um, were picking up a theme that they've been approaching constantly um, and consistently, sorry, um, that is about, yes, that you would describe it as getting on with the day job, but actually there are failings in our economy, there are failings in our NHS system, um, the educational uh, attainment gap continues to trouble. Um, and if you take the NHS, because we all have constituents that come in and tell us the reality of their experience, Diagnostic tests, you're waiting much longer now. That was than you have Richard Leonard, before. the Scottish Labour Leader's right. position That's today. That's right, that was Richard's position. Um, but, you know, the NHS in difficulty is a theme that has arisen in all of the leaders' contributions today. Um, so, whether it's waiting times, which Willie Rennie touched on, and the fact that they have expanded from five to 13,005 and now to more than 16,000, that actually underlines the reality of what I'm seeing in my constituency post-bag and people coming to my surgeries. The First Minister seemed to have a, a pretty good answer to the what, what have you been doing, you, you've been obsessing of independence, you seem to have quite a long list of achievements from the last 24 hours. What what, what was your thoughts on, on today's session, Tom? I think um, I, I tried to actually take a list of all the things the First Minister was saying and I couldn't keep up with the amount of fantastic work that's going on. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have my shorthand skills, obviously. No, not yet. Um, I think that uh, with the public services and with the health service, um, it's important to have that bears context in mind. And I don't make this as a, as a political point, but genuinely, for context, health funding is at record levels. Staffing level, staffing levels are at record levels. But the reality is the demand is increasing. We have an ageing population, people presenting with more comorbidities at an advanced stage. This is a challenge that is affecting every, almost every advanced economy across the world. And if you look at within the UK, and I'm not doing this to make a cheap political point, but the Scottish Health Service is performing better than its counterpart down south or in Wales. But it's not now, performing well enough? It's just not performing I, I will well always enough. argue that we want the health service to perform as well as possible, but the government is responding to that. We've seen already big you know, national clinical strategy in place, 
um, 2020 vision, the move towards shifting the balance of care, just an additional £50 million um, announced recently for waiting no, no, times. That's been re-announced and re-announced and re-announced. So the government is responding and it's taking action, but this will always be a challenge. But there's one thing I actually do want to come to the FMQ today. I actually thought it was the most significant moment, um, and it's going to be rare for me to praise a Labour politician, but I want to praise Neil Bibby for bringing up the case of uh, Denzel Darku. I thought that was an incredibly revealing moment in the chamber because the entire chamber, bar the Tories, united, applauding both uh, Neil Bibby's question and for highlighting the case and uh, for the First Minister's response. And you could see the Conservatives were absolutely isolated in this, only a matter of days after Ruth Davidson was saying that she believes there has to be a, another look at migration. For, for listeners that aren't aware of that story, it was on the, the front page of the record, sister paper, the Sunday Mail, on, on Sunday as a story about, about a young man in Glasgow who was uh, involved in the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony and is, is now facing deportation. That, that was a moment where Labour and the SNP had a, had a rare moment of uh, agreement and consensus, Jackie, well, and it was Neil Bibby's question, obviously. Yeah, and, and, and I think Neil Bibby is absolutely right to bring that to the chamber. Um, he described the hostile environment that is the immigration process at the moment, and he was right to do so. But, but let me contrast that with everybody in the chamber, every party, saying to the SNP, you're not doing well enough on health. You know, so let me highlight that as a consensus across the chamber, bar the governing party, saying you need to do much more. You know, I have constituents who come in um, to my office, they've been waiting a year in excruciating pain for surgery. Surgery that isn't going to happen anytime soon. This £50 million, of course it's welcome, but it's been announced so many times, you know, it's now starting to wear thin. Is that money reaching where it needs to be? Because at the moment, I don't see it. Just before we finish, because we're running out of time, I want to touch on another story which was raised at First Minister's Question. It was actually the Daily Record's front page on, on Monday. It was about a drug that treats cystic fibrosis called Orcambi. Uh, we had a front page story on Monday with a, an interview with a consultant, Gordon McGregor, talking about how this drug would really help one of his patients, but he's not able to give, give it to the patient. Largely, it seems, not in this particular instance, not due to a financial situation, but almost a bureaucratic situation. Jackie Bailey, I know that you've taken an interest in this case. Could you maybe describe a bit of the situation uh, and just and just and what? Uh, it seemed there was a, a element of consensus in that exchange today. It was it was an SNP backbencher, Alex Neil, a former health minister, in fact, who who asked the question today. Could you just tell us a bit more about that. Okay, well, Alex Neil and I have been working on this together and as part of a cross-party group of MSPs. So, you know, you're absolutely right. There's consensus around the chamber that something needs to be done. Um, it first started with my constituent, Kelly Gallagher, um, who came forward, who herself needs Ocambi. Um, You know, she, in common with hundreds of other people across Scotland, would benefit from this drug um, in a way that is life-changing. You know, and it's not just Ocambi, it's the next generation of drugs and it's a number of other new drugs. So I'm grateful for the, to the Daily Record for running this campaign. You're also running a campaign on access to Pergetta, which is the breast cancer drug. Um, we need, I think, to get much better at approving these life-saving, life-changing treatments and actually making them available. Ocambi has been available for two years. Kelly hasn't been able to get it. We need to sort out the bureaucracy in the NHS to make sure that these new treatments are fast-tracked into um, clinicians' ability to, to kind of, you know, prescribe them. Tom, your thoughts on this issue? I, I recognise very much, I should uh, declare an interest, my wife recently lost a very close friend, um, at CF, um, I think he was only uh, 30 years, and he 
he was really quite inspiring. I figured I never had the opportunity to meet him, um, but he lived life to the full. I also have a, a, a colleague and friend who um, his niece is only um, I think one or two years old. So, yeah, so I know how much of an emotive issue this is. And in and a and broader um, debate about access to medicines, the, the way I said, I recently held a, a round table in Parliament um, called Beyond the Cancer of Medicine, and it was looking about the future with the, with the incredible developments we have um, in medicine and with precision medicines, um, which can utterly transform people's you know, diagnoses and expectations. Um, but we do always have a challenge about how we build a system that's going to be robust as these new treatments come online and to make sure people get access to them. It's difficult. It's challenging, and what it calls for, what I learned certainly is it's partnership, it's partnership between government, between health boards, SMC, but also the pharmaceutical companies have a big role to play in this as well, including putting in bids at fair prices. Okay, well thanks very much, that's a story that we'll continue to follow in the daily record. I'd like to thank Tom and Jackie for taking part today, it was one of our more fiery afternoons here I think, uh, but it, it remained friendly at all times and I'm sure we'll all, we'll all have a drink afterwards. Uh, and I'll practice my singing. <laughs> thank you very much uh, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.